it's possible you're taking on unnecessary operating risk in the market. It is harder to operate these businesses today than it was two, three, four years ago. It just is. You are building a practice right now and you can just manifest it into existence. 30 practices, you're just going to be able to sell it. These are the boxes you have to check to be on that, to be on that list. But we're in DSO world where, where valuations get really, really rich and a lot of your listeners are, could be subjected to this. Each spouse can give to each child $13 million tax-free before the estate tax kicks in. Welcome to another episode of Dental Marketing Theory. I'm your host, Gary Bird. I'm the founder of SMC National, where we help you create, convert, and close more new patients so you can grow the way that you want. And today, I got a major, major update for you with what's going on in the market. I have Kevin Cumbus, who's the founding partner and president at Tusk Partners, and he's going to break down what just happened in the dental industry, the big sale that just happened that's affecting everybody's multiples, and what's going to happen in the near future. You're going to want to pay attention to this one because it's going to impact you one way or another. Stay tuned. All right, Kevin. So the last time we talked was actually right before Dykema and at Dykema. And one of the things that you were talking about was the market's kind of frozen a little bit. We're waiting on a big deal to go through. And I, I know that that deal went through. So could you kind of break down what happened there and then what's happening to the market because of that? Yeah, sure. So summer this year, uh, there were, there were a, a sizable number of transactions we were all waiting to close. Good news. One of those transactions did close. It closed at a really nice multiple at 14 times. Anytime a, a big private equity batch group sells to another private equity company, that typically means they have a fresh stack of capital and they need to buy to, to get to keep growing and get a return for that GP and LP that, that invested inside the private equity company. Uh, spoke to leadership this past week. And they are really, really excited about growth. But what's changed is they want to grow through two distinct methodologies. They built their business growing only through acquisition, but now it's a two-pronged approach. What they've discovered is they can grow through de novos effectively and capitally efficiently um, as, as much as good or better than they could through acquisitions. What they have sensed is valuations are really, really high. Um, and and the cost of capital is really, really expensive, right? Driven by the interest rates. So maybe at this point, because of high valuations and high cost of capital, the return on invested dollars for de novos is as good or better than actually acquisitions. So they're in a really unique position where they get to do this, and most are not there at this point. Why? Why are most not there? Like what? How? Uh, what's happening with other people that are trying to take this approach that they're just striking yeah, out? Yeah. So, so let, let, let's think about this. So. Private equity companies invest in businesses with about a five-year investment horizon. They want to get in, get out. You know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, right? So we don't want to get too big. We don't want to, we don't want to take too much money. And in the, the life cycle of a de novo, it, it takes time, right? There are some DSOs that are really good at going from breaking ground uh, to profitability within a year, but that is the exception, not the rule. <laughs> so most private equity companies go, hey, Gary, I, I know that you love building dental practices, that doesn't fit our time horizon. So rather than do that, let's just go out and buy a million dollars worth of EBITDA rather than build it slowly over time the hard way. What's unique about this most recent transaction is they went to the market with this strategy in hand with the, some case studies they could point to about their previous successes. And they said, yeah. this is the strategy we'd like to move forward with. And, and it was 
something that was well received by a pool of investors that were ultimately able to, to get the deal done. Hey, I got something crazy to share with you, and I'm going to get you right back to the show, I promise. So we have an event called AlignerCon coming up next year, and this month we're giving away a buy one, get one free. We're going to be partnering with Clear Correct, and this is going to be one of the biggest events that we've ever done in Nashville, Tennessee, in the biggest hotel in America. So if you want to come to this, again, we're going to give you a buy one, get one free. We want to meet you in person. Just go to AlignerCon.com, and we're going to teach you how to create, convert, close, and even some clinical components around clear aligners. So don't miss this event. Go check it out now. Back to the show. Yeah. Is, I wonder how, and you may, you may not want to speak on this, or maybe you do. Um, the one thing that makes me nervous about DeNovo's is talent acquisition right now. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's the yeah. part that's like, man, we got to find the people to actually work there. Right. That seems to be kind of, let's say, let's call that a global issue, right? That, that is an issue everyone's facing, retention and attraction of new talent. Um, what was shared with me is that, that leadership views uh, the, the plus side of the equation a lot, a lot more valuable than the minus side of the equation. The minus uh-huh. side of the equation is a, 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 attraction of, of talent. Fine. On the plus side of the equation, you get to choose the location, right? You can pick the high traffic area. You get to build the culture. You get to you get to hand pick the dentist. You get to hand train the dentist. You get to hand train the team. You be, get to pick the URL. You pick the marketing. There's yeah. so much more that is within their control that they that that far outweighs in their mind any type of talent risk. Um, Got it. Risk around hiring new, new team members. That's awesome. So okay. So then, what does this mean now for the market? For like. Me, if I own five, 10 practices and I'm looking out over the next couple of years of, do I grow? Do I not grow? Do I sell? Like, how, how does this impact me and start changing the way that I'm maneuvering in the market? Yeah. So, so we've we got one DSO who's, who's transacting on this strategy, right? I just thought it was such a unique perspective that it warranted sharing with your audience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you've got five to 10 locations and, and you're looking to grow, uh, it, it, it does it, it shouldn't shape shift your strategy. The, the one thing I would tell you is if you've if you're sitting there in that position, think about what your exit kind of would needs to look like from a financial perspective. I don't think enough people actually do this work. Uh, uh, you need to know what you need well, the bell you need to ring to achieve financial independence and how much cash it close you need to make that happen, right? So that you're uh, Gary, you're an entrepreneur building a valuable business, and I'm sure you've talked to your financial planner much like I have. And I know what number I need to hit to achieve financial independence. Every dentist should do that too. Every entrepreneur of the DSO DSO space should do that too. Because, and I firmly believe this more now than ever, um, if if you could sell your business today and achieve financial independence and actually get a victory lap, knowing you got a few extra million, $10 million left in the bank after you sell, it's possible you're taking on unnecessary operating risk in the market. It is harder to operate these businesses today than it was two, three, four years ago. It just is. The cost of supplies is up. The cost of talent is up. The quality of the talent is less. And although you're feeling it, private equity companies know this too. And this is going to become reflected in the valuations that they are willing to pay, the multiples they're willing to pay for practices. So one thing I'm talking with owners about is if you can't afford to get out, you might want to contemplate doing so sooner rather than later, because everything I read in Bloomberg, uh, any financial press, Wall Street Journal, it, it doesn't look like we're through it yet. 
So mm-hmm. we, we're not through the, the, I mean, hopefully we're through the great resignation, but there is a recession still looming. We've got COVID now popping up again. We have clients whose dental assistants and hygienists are calling in sick, associate doctors are calling in sick, and they can't come back in until they get a positive test. It, it, they're just, it, there just doesn't seem to be much end in sight. So is it worth taking on all that operating risk if you could get out clean? So th- that's mm-hmm. something I would consider if I'm sitting there conti- considering, do I grow or do I exit? Yeah, one of the things that you said before we hit record was Q4 is looking sideways or down. How does that, like, why Why is that? Why does it look sideways or down besides what you just listed there? Yeah, it's, it's been a weird year, right? So we, we knew all these deals were sitting at the top of the market. And I was, I was talking with Kalea, he, Brian Kalea. He's like, you, you keep pushing out these articles saying that your deals are closing and they're, they're closing at higher multiples than they did last year. And I said, Brian, it's, it actually goes in the face of everything we're hearing, but it's, it's our unique experience. We knew eventually all that news would begin to trickle down to the lower middle market, right? So businesses of less than $20 million of EBITDA. And slowly but surely, it's beginning to materialize. So I certainly believe that multiples will be going sideways, staying the same, or, or potentially going down. And this is, don't think about this in, in average, right? Because what's really happening is if you have a very, very healthy business with 20% clinical level EBITDA margins in a high growth region, you're going to still trade at a really rich multiple. So, but if you've got a little bit of hair on your deal or you've got a little bit of struggle or you're not in the right geography or not the right payer mix, uh, there will be either few to no bids on that business. And it will certainly, the offers will come in at multiples much lower than we previously expected. I like the way you broke that down because I've never really thought about it that way. But let me give you an illustration. You can tell me if I'm on mark or off mark. It's kind of like, let's say the housing market's all going down right now. I didn't, house prices are down 20%. But there's two or three markets where we're up 20% because everybody wants to move there and everybody wants to buy. So if you're in that market and you have the right house that everybody wants to buy, your house is still going up. So there's still edge cases basically, but that doesn't mean that that's what's happening in the market. Is that, do I got that right? A hundred percent correct. So what you can't do is, is when you hear that your buddy just sold for 10X, do not believe that, that 10X is transferable to your asset, period. It, it's just, there's too, there's too many other qualitative aspects at play uh, that are driving multiples. It, 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 the short answer is, Gary, buyers are really, really picky. They don't want to buy projects. They want to buy surefire bets, and they're willing to pay up for those. Anything that has more risk, that, that sometimes they're just saying, I'm not even going to bid on this because I have to preserve what little capital I have yeah. and make smart bets. They're just making smarter, safer bets. So let's so let's do the checklist of the smarter bet. So let's pretend, Kevin, you are building a practice right now and you can just manifest it into existence. 30 practices, you're just going to be able to sell it and you want to be that house in that good market in the right place that's going to sell for 20% above rather than 20% below. What's a short list of things that like, these are the boxes you have to check to be on that, to be on that list? Yeah, right out of the gate, you you need to be showing north of 18% EBITDA margin uh, at the practice level, preferably north of 20, but you absolutely need to be above 18% EBITDA margin at the location level. Uh, You also need to be showing same store sales growth. 
that this is not about even a margin growth, but same store sales growth. It needs to be a growing business. It could have increased wages. It could have increased supplies, but you certainly need to show that you're growing top line revenue each and every year. And we can always work on the expense side of the equation. Yeah, no. To maximize value, you need to be somewhere between a million to $2 million of EBITDA. That's where the rich multiples really start to show up. And I, and I honestly am starting to wonder how much incremental value you gain from a multiple perspective to grow from 2 to $4 million of EBITDA in this market. So we'll be able to trade $2 million of EBITDA at somewhere between eight to 10 and a half times, depending on geographically where it is, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but when you go from two to four, the multiple range doesn't change that much. So I think about all the operating risk you take on, the additional personally guaranteed debt you take on, yeah. the, the number of sleepless nights you the pay, suffer. The pay cuts that you have to transition out of the chair into, yeah. Right. All this stuff. Like, is it is? I don't know if that is worth it anymore, J- just from a pure numbers perspective, from a hey. pure, fi- pure financial perspective. It's great to build your brand. It's great to build your empire. But but if, if it's me, I'm looking at that one to $2 million of EBITDA mark and, and contemplating an exit. Hey, sorry to interrupt the show, but I got something that's going to bring some value to you. This segment is called Ask Gary, and we have people who email us and ask us questions about marketing, and we answer them live on the air. If you want to send in a question, you just send it to askgary at smcnational.com or shoot us a DM, or leave a comment below. We'll definitely answer your questions. Today's question came in from Justin, and they wanted to know, Justin wanted to know what we think about marketing contracts. And this is a great question. So if you're first working with a business uh, or a new marketing company, I would never, ever, ever sign a contract because you need to see them perform. But once a company performs and they're doing a good job, it's actually in your best interest to get into a contract with them because usually you can get lower pricing and a better deal if you sign a longer term commitment with that company. So it's kind of like a no, yes answer. Contracts are really bad if you don't know the company, but they can be really good if you know that they can provide results. That's really good. And then one of the things that you were talking about that I found very, very interesting, again, before you hit record, was the gift tax and how that's changing and how that's going to really impact the market as we see it. Yeah, so this is this is interesting. So um, this, is, this is a state tax. I'm a little out over my skis on this, but I'll, I'll tell you what I've heard uh, from others who are a lot smarter than me. Uh, there's an estate tax um, situation today in the U.S. where each spouse can give to each child $13 million tax-free before the estate tax kicks in. That is a heck of a lot of money, and and for, for many people, not, not, we're never going to reach that. But we're in DSO world, where, where valuations get really, really rich, and a lot of your listeners are, could be subjected to this. That's the, that's the limit today. At the end of 2025, this is going to go from 13 million down to about seven and a half. It's going to be cut practically in half, right? This is a little, little nerve wracking. It doesn't look like there's going to be a change in the White House to solve for this. So this is like the 13 million is likely going to sunset and 7.5 is going to become the new law of the land. There are things that you can do as, as a business owner today to go ahead and lock in that value and get those dollars to your, to your children today at the $13 million mark. And you can go ahead and use up that credit today so you can sell in 2030 or 2040, but you've already used the credit in today's tax environment. I also believe the people that don't do that planning will probably hit the panic button around, mm, I don't know, 
Q2, uh, the, the news will probably start break around Q4 of next year. And then we're going to see a lot of deals happen in 2025. Got it. So this is going to push people to move faster. And then what does that do to the market, though? Does that change the market at all? Or is this just being proactive to avoid massive amounts of taxes? There are things you can do today to be proactive. So you don't have to push the panic button in 2025. But I do believe that that uh, this will serve as an impetus for some to sell. And, and, and more so, the let's call it the over 55 crowd. Uh, that's thinking about making sure that their families are taken care of. Uh, entrepreneurs under the age of forty-five or fifty, maybe not so much, right? They got a lot of runway ahead of them. Uh, but but when you're when you're building a big business and you're sixty, sixty-five years of age, sometimes all you need is that little nudge to go. You know what? The operating risk isn't worth it. This is a tax favorable situation. Let's go ahead and take advantage of this before it sunsets. Awesome. Anything else that people need to be aware of just thinking about Q4 and into next year just for planning sake from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, we've we've been doing this long enough now, a couple election cycles to know that the market doesn't like risk. And I, I don't know about you, Gary, I, I popped some popcorn the other night. And I had the kids down to watch the debates because it's I mean, it's kind of like it's must see TV these days. It's turned it's turned into a lot of theater. Doesn't seem real. Yeah, it doesn't seem real. It does not seem real. It is it is not my parents' presidential debate or nominations debate. But I, I brought them down so they could see it. But it it, it helped me do, it helped me realize. Oh yeah, we're going into another election cycle. We we got to be careful because Wall Street does not like uncertainty, and I think we have a lot of uncertainty that that's about to start materializing. Um, we don't know if Biden's going to be running again. We don't know what the what the Democrats are going to do there. All sides point that he will, but there's enough noise in the market that where there's uncertainty around his uh, campaign, and there's also a huge amount of uncertainty on the Republican camp side, whether Trump's even going to be allowed to run, who's going to be second fiddle, on and on and on. Um, so as as we get closer and closer to this election, uh, markets will likely either take a little dip or debt capital markets will freeze up again. So we, we got to be prepared for what's looming on the horizon. It hasn't manifested itself today in the markets, but we have to expect that it's going to be coming in the next three to four quarters. So still liquidity day, still a good time to get a deal done. But you know, looking out, out, out the horizon in the crystal ball, it, it could get a little dicier as we get closer to the election. Awesome. Awesome. So if someone has questions on this kind of stuff and they're trying to navigate and figure it out, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Yeah, sure. Um, go to the website, uh, www.tusk-partners.com. Uh, take a look there. You can always reach me on my cell phone, 704-654-0152 and uh, Kevin at tusk-partners.com. Awesome. I really, really appreciate you breaking down the market. It helps me understand it. And I'm sure it's tons of value to the audience that's listening and trying to figure out what to do next. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gary. Good to see you.